You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. And that identity of like, I'm, you know, fr from this hard life, but I've made good. Yeah. You know, and that identity can be really something people who attach themselves to. So that when things are not good, it's like un unacceptable. Yeah. And so you have to overcompensate by buying into a life that you can't afford. With the money thing that they just overextended themselves in the house or whatever they were buying, you know, and trying to maintain this appearance of Hollywood success moved to Indiana, you know. Right. That I feel like that went out of control and yeah. then um, the drinking got worse and worse and, um, you know, he just took that out on her. Hey guys, welcome to the first degree of the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter, who is standing next to Billy Johnson, who is sitting. And we're not going to go into a crazy intro today because we have an amazing guest in studio. Margaret Cho is with us and we're going to get right to it after we talk about today's day. Happy answer the phone like Buddy the Elf Day. Which I don't understand. Yes. Or it's also Big Cookies Day which is understandable given the holidays, but it's also National Wear a Plunger on Your Head Day. I like that day. Yeah. What's your day, Alexis? Cookies. Mm. You don't want to wear a plunger on your head? Nope. Oh, interesting. Mm. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. There are so many species of unrequited love. There's the relationship that ended, one person pining over another, the love triangle that doesn't fall in your favor, blatant rejection, and of course, mind games. What's comforting is that unanswered love is truly the great equalizer. Everybody experiences it in some shape or form at some point. But what if you learned that the subject of your desire married someone else? And then you learned that they murdered their partner in cold blood. Today's case takes us back to May of 2007. Avril Lavigne's girlfriend and Maroon 5's Make Me Wonder were at the top of the Billboard charts and movies in the theaters were Waitress and Spider-Man 3. There are two settings for today's case. The first is Los Angeles, which is where the story starts. When a 20-something girl moves to L.A. to pursue the dream. And she was of that very small percentage, incredibly small percentage, to actually make it, despite the odds. And that girl was Margaret Cho. 
I was doing stand-up comedy, and I had been doing stand-up comedy for kind of a long time in San Francisco, and then touring around um, in the uh, the dawn of the 90s, I was starting to get more uh, opportunities to do shows in Los Angeles and doing more television. And so I was coming here, and then I decided to move here um, in, uh, yeah, probably like 1990, um, 91, some at the latest 91, but it was always... Uh, kind of like coming back and forth and getting like like staying in somebody's house or like staying in an apartment there was a an apartment that I lived in actually close to here with uh 31 other comedians in the oh. building and it was uh, an apartment building that had like all single units so it was almost like a I guess SRO single room occupancy yeah. but it would sort of spruce up a little bit um, and it was all comedians. Oh them. my gosh! Uh, Fun. Yeah, yeah. it was funny. It was the rent was three hundred dollars. I wish. Yeah. So at that time seemed like a lot of money, actually, but it wasn't wasn't at, at all. <laughs> and um, so I lived there. Uh, I lived yeah all over Hollywood. Margaret's career took off, and eventually led her to star in a show called All American Girl. That show was developed around me, so I. Uh, was got I got a deal uh, in um, Montreal at the Just for Laughs Festival, which is a big comedy festival that happens in the summer. And um, I got this big deal with Disney and um, Sand Dollar, oddly, Dolly Parton and Sandy Gallen. They were in con- con- conjunction with them. Um, Dolly Parton sent me a huge box of her makeup. Oh my gosh. I'm really excited. Lucky. Love Dolly Parton. <laughs> I know. I love Dolly Parton. So. The, yeah, so this was uh, in 1993. The show actually premiered in 1984. According to IMDb, All American Girl is ascribed as. This series looked at the culture clashes that occurred between a traditional Korean mother and her fully Americanized daughter. Mom just wants Margaret to marry a respectable man. Doctors, lawyers, scientists, always Korean, while her daughter is more interested in white bikers, musicians, and any other type that her mother is bound to hate. Through all of this, Dad knows better than to interfere and just keeps out of the fray. And one of the producers working on the show caught Margaret's attention, and his name was John James J.J. Paulson. Um, I met J.J. Paulson in, um, he had come along with uh, the writers of my television show. I actually didn't meet him until after he was hired. Um, I didn't have the agency then as the star of the show to actually hire my own writing writer's room. I had to like kind of go along with what runner the showrunner at the time had had sort of wanted. So he made the room and JJ was the story editor. Um, so we met actually, I didn't even know who he was until he had presented. I think the episode was like four or five. He had written one of the episodes. And so he, that's, I think that's when I sort of became like introduced to him. JJ Paulson was a TV writer and wrote for shows like in living color, Cosby and roundhouse and The Edge in The Carol Burnett Show, All-American Girl, and many others. And he'd actually been nominated for an Emmy for his writing, too. And uh, he was also in a relationship with somebody named Rachel Sweet, who is a uh, singer and also a comedy writer and television writer now, I believe. And uh, she had worked on her show on Comedy Central, which at that time wasn't Comedy Central. It was Ha, Oh, um, I think, called Sweet Time. They were together. Um, but I also knew that he was having an affair with one of the women in the writer's room, who I don't remember her name, but she was uh, one of the writing staff. And what was your first impression of him? I, I didn't really know. I was like, oh, he looks like 
Gary Oldman, but not in not in Sid and Nancy in during the press junket for Sid and Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he was when he was wearing like loafers, I remember that. I yeah. remember I remember a story about him because he played Sid Vicious, yes. but he was really kind of like a preppy going into the press junket. I yes. totally know what you're oh talking about. Oh my god, about. I love yeah. that. So I was like, oh my god, he's so cute, and uh, I I hadn't really thought about it, but then I kind of was like, this is a good distraction. I had been dating uh, Garrett Wang from Star Trek, so I had Sulu. Oh my gosh! Oh, you're fucking Sulu. Oh my god! It's <laughs> that's your whole life. That's your whole world. Hell oh yeah! Yes. I, I just think that um, I wasn't really paying attention because I was, you know, I, I was with somebody. Fucking Sulu. <laughs> so I was like, you know, it, and I was also super anorexic because I, I had like um, the major drama around All American Girl was that they were like, you're too fat to play yourself, so you have to lose a bunch of weight. So oh I had god. to like be way thinner than I was, and so that was like my focus. So I had. Uh, somebody I was dating and I had to be thinner. So there was like a lot of things happening in my mind. But I started to notice JJ around the set. And you know, when somebody is having an affair and also in a relationship, they build this kind of sexual like charisma around them that you that's palpable that mm-hmm. you may not know of the situation of what's going on, but there's something that's happening. There's an energy that seems um, kind of like active. So true about other women wanting men yeah because it there is something palpable about it even if you don't know yeah. like yeah. there's an air because that like man the, knows it's like the that big man, dick energy but it's like yeah. the big cheater energy yeah or yeah yeah because it's yeah it's kind of lesbian too there's like kind of like a there's a because i you know i i do have relationships with women so there is a kind of like a bonding there it has something to do with oxytocin being ejected into the air that it's all breathing. about the oxytocin yeah. there's a lot of god that. damn it <laughs> and god bless it yeah <laughs> literally and while margaret didn't have feelings for jj paulson at first that started to change so i kind of started to pay attention to him and then started to like him and then he was somebody who drank alcohol and i didn't really drink alcohol and i was like this is curious and we would do these tapings of the show and we would go to um a bar all the cast and crew and everybody would drink and I, I just thought oh how glamorous to be like an adult and in your 30s and like to me to be 36 I believe is 36 was just like the oldest person in the world <laughs> so old to be drinking and it'd be so cool and and um I remember like thinking okay how am I gonna try to get his attention maybe uh he was selling this car he had an accurate vigor and I was like oh I'll buy it because I want it and I'll do see, these things like these big dumb girl things like what do I do to get into his because we had no like Instagram to stalk. Mm-hmm. We had no sliding into DMs. We had no texting even. Yeah. So you would even have to like figure out how to get into their life somehow. And then, you know, like the, for me, it, you know, my my status it was sort of a little bit awkward because it's like yeah I guess I am his boss but I wasn't really conscious of that to me he felt like he was uh, more my boss in a lot of ways like he sort of felt like an authority figure because he was an adult and because he was in the writer's room and that that was just just sort of a um, thing that I wasn't really aware of now and him being the story editor he's in charge of the story that you're telling each week so he's going to come in and he probably was telling doing uh, not really directing but like doing like no this goes here this goes there so that on top of the the age Mm -hmm. and on top of whatever charisma that he has Mm -hmm. he's really hitting you in a lot of different spots yes so it was like 
you know, just kind of like thing of also projecting onto an older man what I think uh, older men are like or what I think a guy's going to be like or that a man is going to be like. Because everybody I'd been with up to that point had been a boy in a lot of ways. You know, they were all boys. They were my age or a little younger or like just boys. So it was not, um, you know, it was like kind of a crush that was like almost like a crush you get on a teacher mm-hmm. um, or like professor maybe, like maybe a little older, like you're in college. So there's a possibility. So although Margaret developed a crush on Paulson over the course of their time working together, the relationship never really got off the ground. I think we went out on a couple of dates that were strained, odd. They really kept me at <laughs> At, at arm's length and I couldn't, you know, seem to get in. And then I, I was like, why does this guy not like me? Like I was just so used to everybody doing exactly what I wanted them to do. And it was just not in my realm of experience to be rejected, especially for some, from somebody who had agreed to go out with me two times. We never had sex or anything. And we never actually like made out or anything. There was nothing like that, but there was an attraction that existed that was something that could have been worked on. I think that he was overwhelmed because he was already in a relationship and cheating on her. And then I added another level of like complexity that he just didn't want, but also didn't say no to. So even with the confusion of the unrequited love, the show wraps, the curtains close and life moves on for Margaret. The show eventually was canceled, of course, and then um, he moved to go work on Bill Cosby's show outside of the Cosby show. Mm. Which was, which was I think Cosby. it was just called Cosby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he moved to New York. I think I saw him uh, once coming on to the Rod, Radford lot because I saw the Acura Vigor that I wanted to buy coming out. <laughs> like, that's him. my car. Yeah, I saw him coming out and I was going in and it was like, he f- whipped his head around and I looked and, I, I, and then he was gone and then... Um, uh, there was, um, yeah, there, that, that, I think that was the last time. And we all know that Margaret would go on to have an incredibly successful career, but thoughts of J.J. Paulson loomed over her. I think, like, what it was was really, like, yeah, he just didn't give me any answer. Kind of a non-emotional uh, rejection mm-hmm. that, to yeah. me, was, like, really upsetting. Because <laughs> I feel like you're going to reject somebody. You've got to feel really bad about it. You can't just, like, reject them in a very non-confrontational way. Well, and that's probably hard. That's even worse than if somebody did something super shitty because you can't be mad at them. Yeah. No. So you're just like, you is more is painful worst. than cruelty. Yeah. Yes. Like, because at Absolutely. least cruelty, they're trying to elicit a response. And there's, there's a sense of love in the hate. Yeah. yeah. It's a Victorian era. It's an analog ghosting. Yes. Yeah. Like, a really, like, early adopter ghosting. <laughs> Which <laughs> was ahead of his time. Yeah, really way ahead of his time. And, you know, that's like, but that's something that can really drive you crazy. Because if you just don't hear, you don't know. It's just never. The limbo. And it was like, um... A really, a really upsetting one and a really, um, you know, you never really get over it. 17 years later, Margaret decides to look J.J. Paulson up to see what he ended up doing with his life. I never really thought about it um, until many years later. I realized that you could Google people. That was like like the mid-2000s when I realized, oh, Google exists and I could find out where he is. And so I looked it up and and I saw it was a very short entry on Wikipedia that he was a writer on my show and that he had gotten married and, and uh, killed his wife.
So remember how we said there were two settings to the story? Here's the second. Carmel, Indiana, which is where J.J. Paulson moved to in 2004 after the rap of The All-American Girl. Paulson had gotten married to a woman named Leanne, and he met her in 1999 in New York City. They married in Los Angeles on November 20th, 2003. In March of 2004, he and Leanne moved to Carmel, Indiana and purchased a house. Paulson had planned to write a manuscript. It did not otherwise work while he was in Indiana. I think he was just sort of like moving to Indiana. I'm going to be a, you know, a writer Serious in seclusion. Writer. You know, I'm going to do this thing. And in time, the Paulsons' finances fell into disarray and their marriage became very turbulent. The marriage between J.J. Paulson and Leanne looked like a perfect one, but in actuality, it was riddled with alcohol and abuse. Police had been called twice to their Carmel home after Leanne Paulson said her husband had beaten her in the past. So let's look into Leanne's history. Leanne Serrano had been Carmel High School's homecoming queen in 1985. And then she went to Indiana University and she graduated. She pursued her dreams of acting and singing up until she met Paulson. And in Indiana, she actually appeared in local theater productions and in a national tour of Jesus Christ Superstar. And she was also in the American Cabaret Theater. And she was a regular cast member in the Yuletide Celebration in Indianapolis and the New York City Rockettes Christmas Special. And Leanne was very close with her family, but that changed a few years into her marriage with J.J. Paulson. They started seeing less and less of Leanne, and it seemed as if they had lost contact with her completely by April of 2007. But her sisters really wanted to change that, and they started reaching out to her more frequently, wanting to get their relationship closer and back on track. They tried over and over to reach their sister, but the calls went unanswered. But finally, her sisters did hear back from J.J. Paulson, and he told them that Leanne had been struggling with alcohol addiction and said that she actually was going to rehab. The sisters asked for contact information to the rehab center, and he came up with one excuse after the next as to why he could not provide that to them. In fact, at one point, he actually asked Leanne's sister, Sharon, to lend him her car so that he could take Leanne to the airport to go to this rehab center. But then days later, he called Sharon back to say Leanne had decided not to go to rehab at all, but he still would not facilitate contact between the two sisters. And when Sharon threatened to come to their house to confront her sister about either going to rehab or why she hadn't been back in touch with her, he tried to convince her not to by telling her that Leanne had, in fact, already left for California to go to rehab. So then Leanne's other sister, Katie, contacted the California Rehabilitation Center to confirm whether it was prepared to receive Leanne. And a representative told her that the facility was not expecting her at all. And this is when Katie confronted J.J. Paulson, who again insisted that Leanne was already en route to Los Angeles. So he's going back and forth all over the place. Something's up. And everyone suspected that Paulson was keeping Leanne from her family. And they weren't surprised because everyone knew that Paulson was abusive. And his behavior is such classic in terms of coercive control. He's isolating his victim from her family. So it's no surprise that it's what they all thought was going on. And friends noticed too. On April 13th, J.J. Paulson told a visiting friend named Ken that his wife was just upstairs in bed. The next day on April 14th, he called and asked the same friend if Ken could take him and Leanne to the airport two days later. But then on the next day, the 15th, He called Ken again and advised him not to come over because he had a personal problem that needed to be taken care of. 
But everyone would find out why Leanne was radio silent on April 17th, when Leanne's sister Sharon lost her patience about her inability to reach Leanne. That day, Sharon left messages and emails for J.J. Paulson, demanding to know why she couldn't reach her sister. And she was also letting him know that she planned to stop by and see Leanne later in the day, whether she heard from them or not. And J.J. Paulson called Sharon back and in an irritated manner stated that he was offended by the messages she had left him. But Sharon was done playing nice. She missed her sister, she was worried about her sister, and she was going to have the police stop by the home to do a welfare check on Leanne. But she didn't tell J.J. Paulson that. And police arrived at the home for a welfare check the next day at 3.30 p.m. Officer Curtis Scott of the Carmel Police Department arrived at the home, and when he entered, he found the couple's 16-month-old son, Christopher, hungry, dehydrated, and alone inside their house. The house was littered with decaying food, trash, and dog urine and feces throughout the entire place. The officer tried to turn on the lights, and he found that all the utilities inside the home had been shut off. Then he entered the master bedroom, and he could see that there were signs of a struggle. There was a broken and splintered bed frame, as well as this big gaping hole in the drywall. So they started searching the house for any sign of an adult, like anyone that's going to care for this this baby that's there. And they look, they're looking around and they discover a small closet. And inside the closet has a crawl space. And this is in the master bedroom. And the crawl space leads to an attic. And it was actually blocked by a bunch of storage bins and inline skates and things. But as soon as they got close to it, they could smell that smell. And it was the unmistakable smell of death. So when they entered the door, they found the remains of Leanne. She was naked. She was lying face down. And she was just sort of haphazardly thrown there like trash. And even more horrifying, they could see that her body had been partially mummified. So she had been there a while. How long had Leanne been dead? How had she been killed? How could he sleep in that bedroom, in that home, with her just lying feet away from him, decomposing? And did he think that she would just go away and no one would miss her and he'd be able to sort of smoke and mirrors, distract people indefinitely? And the police immediately start searching for J.J. Paulson, and it didn't take long for them to find him. They found him wandering around an intersection in Carmel four hours later. He was wearing two pairs of jeans, two shirts, a sweatshirt, a fleece vest, and an overcoat. He was also carrying a backpack containing a cell phone, a knife, toiletries, vodka, and additional clothing. J.J. Paulson, when approached by investigators, told them that he actually left his son at home so he could go out and search for his wife. That was the only reason. And he believed that Leanne was out binge drinking on a tear. Then he asked for a lawyer. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. 
Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com first today. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Staud, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. They placed J.J. Paulson under arrest for neglect, and Christopher, his son, was put into the custody of Child Protective Services. J.J. then accompanied police to the headquarters where he has read his Miranda rights before he spoke with the CPS caseworker. J.J. Paulson told the caseworker that he had left Christopher alone so he could search for Leanne. Police checked Paulson's criminal history and learned that he had previously been convicted of domestic battery against Leanne and was currently on probation. Those charges stemmed from a 2005 incident where a pregnant Leanne drove to a relative's home wearing bloodstained clothing and said that Paulson had beaten her. So an autopsy conducted on Leanne would reveal that She'd been dead for at least a week, but possibly as long as three weeks. The cause of death was subdural hemorrhage, caused by blunt force trauma to the head from multiple kicks and or punching. Extensive bruising covered Leanne's head, back, arms, and legs. 
And also two of her ribs had been broken post-mortem. And that indicated that her body had been moved and or abused after her death. So on May 3rd, 2007, the state charged Paulson with murder. After J.J. Paulson was arrested and charged with his wife Leanne's murder, the local news caught hold of the story, then the national news. And then news of the killing made it to J.J. Paulson's Wikipedia page, which is where Margaret learned about what happened. I was in real shock about it. I was really, really shocked. I mean, he had uh, murdered his wife. He had left her body in their, uh, I guess, attic. It had been there for so long that she had partially mummified. It's a horrifying thing. Um, he had left their uh, baby son to just sort of walk a, a long um, distance, just abandon this kid there. And Margaret's shock and confusion about J.J. Paulson committing a crime like this would increase as she learned the details. J.J. Paulson had spun an elaborate web of lies to Leanne's family members, to friends of theirs, and to acquaintances, insinuating that Leanne was still alive for weeks. You know, like there, there was like a way that, that, that he could talk to people that, that was sort of believable, that they didn't go searching for her for this, this amount of time. Well, in the early 2000s, also, there was like a there was a kind of a thing of like where you could probably do that. You could say, well, somebody's, you know, at rehab there. They can't talk. So he bought himself like 28 days. And interestingly, in the months leading up to Leanne's death, the Paulsons were named in a series of lawsuits filed by creditors who won judgments seeking nearly $700,000 in debts. One mortgage claim for nearly $620,000 prompted foreclosure proceedings on their home. And as we know, financial difficulties can cause a lot of problems within a marriage. And what it sounds like, what it looks like is from serious alcoholism yeah. and some serious money problems, which I think are, you know, something that I understand. But it, it's, uh, it goes beyond that with what ha- ended up happening with his, his wife. Yeah, when you think about it, as far as, you know, being in debt $700,000 in the 90s in Indiana, oh. mm-hmm. based on your mortgage, I mean, that, was, that, that had to have been the biggest house in the town. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, it, it, you know, it's really kind of unreasonable to think about, but it's, I think, that, that need to uh, also appear as if you're doing well probably comes from his own background. The background that Margaret is referring to is J.J. Paulson's upbringing. And she knows about this because he told her. His own story about his own upbringing, about how poor they were, how um, hungry they were, how I think they had like these kids like were fighting over a bag of old radishes and and one of them had had like mold on it. And they were they were like fighting over, you know, like his siblings fighting over this food. And so, you know, you had a sense of him being like really like needing a kind of darkness to survive. Like building up this dark shadow self in order to be able to eat and to live and, you know, continue. So there's something of that to him, that there's a little bit of like artful dodger. There's a kind of Dickensian archetype in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, it, he's he's scrappy. And I think that that is the character that if I've ever loved a character in like fiction, it would be the artful dodger. Uh-huh. You know, that's like always going to be my boyfriend. He also told me that his um, brother and his uncle had died, I think, on a Tuesday. He's like, his brother died on a Tuesday and his uncle died on a Thursday on the same week. And so that had a lot to do with um, 
kind of this familial misery. It was like a very classic tale of um, alcoholism, poverty, um, you no know, social services, maybe too proud to tap into social services. It, it's just, the, you know, the, the hard, difficult circumstances of his, of, of his life, but then those circumstances kind of like really defining his character and defining a way that he would move about the world, um, just getting whatever he could. And that identity of like, I'm, you know, fr from this hard life, but I've made good, yeah. you know, and that identity can be really something people who attach themselves to so that when things are not good, it's like un unacceptable. Yeah. And so you have to overcompensate by buying into a life that you can't afford with the money thing that they just overextended themselves in the house or whatever they were buying, you know, and trying to maintain this appearance of Hollywood success moved to Indiana, you know, right. That I feel like that went out of control and yeah. then um, the drinking got worse and worse. And, um, you know, he just took that out on her. And what about the fact that prior to killing his wife, J.J. Paulson seemed to have completely abandoned show business and moved from either New York or L.A. where he was working as a TV writer to Carmel, Indiana. I, my hypothesis about it is that he um, was, I think his drinking just got out of control and he just couldn't write anymore. And I think, you know, as writers, you you know that like you, you can't be that fucked up. You have to be, have some part of your brain still like functioning to be able to write. Like, it, especially if you're like writing on a TV show because the amount you have to produce it's 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 a it's prodigious. It's like you have to keep on going, and uh, you can't be fucked up. You can't yeah. be messed up with that kind of stuff. You can't be hung over in the writers' room. I think so. I think that um, like I think his good uh, good faith had bought him a lot of jobs, but then he probably got fired a lot or laid off because he couldn't produce. And so it turns out that in the two years leading up to Leanne's murder, Paulson's abuse of her had escalated greatly. Their son, Christopher, was born in December of 2005. And after he was born, the violence really kicked into high gear. He broke Leanne's nose on one occasion. At this point, it's been confirmed that Leanne started drinking heavily herself, and she was arrested for a DUI. Paulson also drank heavily. And in May of 2006, he was arrested for domestic battery of Leanne and was subsequently placed in a pretrial diversion program. However... He did not successfully complete the diversion program because on October 20th, 2006, he was arrested again for domestic battery of Leanne. There were two domestic violence cases that Leanne Paulson initiated, but she later refused to testify against her husband and endorsed a plea agreement that allowed him to avoid a jail term. And this is all behavior that is very indicative of, like we've talked about, a coercive, control, abusive relationship. And when Margaret was involved with J.J. Paulson, she experienced his manipulation and some of his tactics firsthand in, in some ways. I think that it's it's definitely, yeah, my first foray into abusive relationships, which I have had now a couple of them since then. Um, and now I know the signs. He also wouldn't reciprocate my uh you know, my feelings. So that, that was incredibly infuriating and difficult. And, and, you know, when you're young like that, like you just can't believe it. You're going to try and try and try. I couldn't hear no. And in the months that followed those initial beatings on Leanne and when she decided not to testify against him, things just got worse. And JJ Paulson really started to alienate Leanne from her friends and family. 
He thwarted their efforts to communicate with her, and as a result, Leanne's family had no contact with her after December 30th of 2006. And according to Leanne's family, the isolation seemed to follow, again, like Alexis said, a classic abuse victim pattern, believing that one day her abuser might stop and he'll become the person that she thought that he was when she fell in love with him. You know, like in the other sort of abusive relationships I've been in, it is like a like a slow kind of course of control where you're you're slowly kind of isolated from your friends and family. And then you only are looking at one person for all of your like beliefs and your ideas and and, and confirmation for that, your your reality. So then then you, you then you start to question your own sanity. Yeah. Is there anything in hindsight about his personality, charisma or temper or anger or edge? In hindsight that you see that could maybe lead you to believe he was capable of something yeah, like this? Yeah, I think that, well, there was that, yeah, all of those things, because there was something kind of like, you know, there was something very um, charming about him, but he wasn't particularly handsome. He wasn't particularly smart. He wasn't particular. there was nothing special that, that is like so over the top exciting, but that real, it, it's almost like he just really got his hooks into me and I don't know how. But he did. And so I don't I'm not sure. I, I really don't know. But, you know, it was partially my youth, partially my own v- vulnerability at that time, thinking about, you know, what I wanted out of relationships and what I wanted out of like just being on, on a television show and what I wanted my adult life to be like, um, that there was uh, projections that I had on my own, I think around alcohol, around a guy who drinks, around um, a troubled guy who drinks. Um, those kinds of ideas that I had. I like Charles Bukowski. Bukowski, I was mm-hmm. just going to go there, yeah. <laughs> love Bukowski. Hunter S. Thompson, I love, I love them all. I love all those guys, you know? So I thought, well, this is my sort of attempt at something like that because yeah. everybody I knew wasn't as destructive as that. And so, you know, you sort of, it's a process of growing up and it's that maturity that doesn't allow your heart to make these decisions that aren't even based on a real person. They're based on a projection. Like I yeah. could not have known him well enough to have built all of this connection to him. There's just no way. So it's it's like the power of our own self-deception and projection and desire that built it, you know, and all of these other women's desires complicating it and yeah. my own problems in my life making it even more dramatic. So interesting and so true and insightful. Right. You project everything and it's all it's the idea of somebody rather than it yeah. could be anybody, but yeah. it just happened to be him. Yeah, really. It has a lot to do with, you know, your uterus and all of these hormones in your 20s that yeah. create this drama. Once you, once you realize that, then life becomes a lot calmer and it yeah. feels a lot better. But it's really hard to get to that point. And some people never snap out of it. Yeah. Well, and I think yeah. it's 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 also difficult if that person happens to be what I believe. He's probably a psychopath. So and it's like he was using these like not like love bombing, but it was all those different kind of textbook things that somebody like that would, which pulls you in more. And that's it's so hard to escape even afterwards. Yeah. And on December 23rd, 2008, he actually pled guilty. But he pled guilty to voluntary manslaughter. And he was sentenced to 26 years. And there was a caveat to his plea. And it should have been covered by Son of Sam laws, but they wanted to make it clear that he cannot write, produce, or direct, or collaborate with anyone in those activities to profit from his wife's death. We all agree that 
J.J. Paulson did a horrible, disgusting thing. And we have Margaret here with us to kind of corroborate sort of his personality. And we know by his actions what kind of person he is. But I went on a crazy deep dive on this case and I found a thread on Web Sleuths. And it was people who knew J.J. who were talking about him. So this is all from Web Sleuths. One user said the following. J.J. is an interesting character. One person who knew him at the start of his career painted a portrait of a workplace psycho, a, quote, snake in a suit, a guy who manipulated others and was only out to gain power over the situation. Then people who wrote me from the West Coast talked about a very laid back guy, more California than Queens, where J.J. was from. Another user said this, an ex of J.J.'s who dated him several years ago said he was a monster, though. A former roommate of Leanne's, the roommate, he's openly gay, was not her boyfriend, said that after she began seeing JJ, Leanne cut her old friend out of her life completely. No men in her life. Interesting. Yeah. And that's three sort of, uh, three sort of uh, vantage points into JJ. Those are three separate perspectives, none positive. That being said, it's like when something like this happens, people remember the worst thing you did and harp on it. And I'm sure, I mean, if that happened to any of us, it would happen. But I think it's clear and obvious that JJ is a manipulative monster. If you're isolating someone from their family, you're manipulating the situation where people think she's asleep up in bed. I mean, this is a liar. This is a monster. This is a psycho. This is an abuser. And he chose Leanne to victimize. Leanne's life was stolen from her abruptly. And... Christopher now doesn't have a mother and I Lord only knows how he suffered through all of this. And I think the most important thing we have to remember is Leanne, 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 Leanne. We're deconstructing JJ Paulson so we can understand how Leanne's precious life was stolen. And so all of us can hopefully have some more insight into these types of abusers so we can avoid them and protect ourselves from them. Because guess what? JJ Paulson was released early from prison. He's out. He was released in September of 2016, which means he spent less than seven years in prison for beating his wife Leanne to death and abandoning their 16-month-old baby in their home. But I know that he's out of prison now. I don't know where he is, but I'm, I'm kind of like, that's such a weird feeling for him to be out. Um, I, I don't think he spent very much time in there for, for considering what he had done. And I did have some communication with her family and um, they were just, you know, they're just heartbroken. They don't, they, they don't want him out. They, they're really upset that he's out. I know that. I, you know, I feel really bad for Leanne's family and, you know, I feel, I, f- I really feel for them. They're just in, they're, they're kind of uh, stuck in amber, you know, the, the amount of pain that they feel and can never be resolved really, yeah. you know. So that's, that's the hard part about it, you know, in talking about it, like I always think about their feelings and, and what they must go through. You know, it's, it's also maybe hopefully maybe their love for her gets remembered in a good way. JJ Paulson's disgusting murderous act and subsequent early release beg many questions. Had you ever been in love before? Yeah, I guess so. You know, I had, um, had relationships, uh, different kinds of relationships, but I had never like had a love that was like unrequited. If he like Googled himself and found this podcast, mm-hmm. do you, what would you want him to hear? Well, I mean, just don't, I don't want 
him in my life. And I don't think that I need to hear his side of the story. And I don't think that this would be a good thing for either of us. What could a side of the story possibly be? Do you know what I mean? Like you beat your wife to death. There's no... You beat your wife to death. It wasn't a one-time thing. You had done it before. I certainly feel as if he's done enough bad stuff that, you know, he can now afford to do some good things. Do you often think that that potentially could have been you? I don't know. Because he... uh, I think I was just too, like, forceful. There, there is nothing passive about my personality. If I like somebody, I'm like so aggressive. Something like that would just be, uh, I think, too, uh, too much of a person. I think I'm too much of a person. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. So learning about what J.J. Paulson had done deeply impacted Margaret. So much so that she um, channeled this confusion and this reaction into something creative. And at the time, I had been writing music, and so I wrote uh, the lyrics to a song that seemed to sort of work out my feelings about it. And I, I gave them to uh, Andrew Bird, who wrote the music for me, and then we ended up singing it together and recording it and making a video and stuff, and it's called I'm Sorry. And side note, we're going to be playing Margaret's song, I'm Sorry, at the end of our episode, so make sure you stick around so you can hear it. And it's all these uh, sort of... Uh, it's a little bit of a murder ballad, but it, it, it really is kind of from his perspective in a lot of ways. Or It, it sort of talks about some of my feelings around it. And I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I still feel like really strange. Like, after the song came out, I got um, somebody sent me an email that was really from him, but he was still in prison. And he was telling me that he had heard the song and, and he wanted to tell me his side of the story, which I don't want I don't think that there's anything to gain from that. We never think that we're going to be grateful that we never had the chance to explore the possibilities with someone that we're in love with. But I think this is a great example for the fact that anytime someone rejects you, strings you along, lies to you, manipulates you, or hurts you, you should consider it a dodge bullet.
Thanks to Margaret Cho for being with us today. She's going to stick around for killing time. But until then, if you guys have a story to tell, please email us. Hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at thefirstdegree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Fanick. Join our Facebook group. Just search The First Degree in the search bar. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But not that close. Sources for today's episode include the Indie Channel, IMDb, Web Sleuths, Indie Star, WTHR 13, Court Documents, and as always, our first degree interview is always our largest source. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, welcome to a very, very special episode of Killing Time. We have Margaret with us, and we're going to just jump right in. We're going to jump right in. I was at Margaret's house a couple of weeks ago. I was on your podcast, <laughs> yes. The Margaret Show, which yes. is one of the best names ever. And I only got it after maybe four times of seeing it. <laughs> oh, wow. I just got it. Yeah. Wait, I still don't get it. The Margaret Show. Well, it's like the show. Oh, the show. Yeah. It's just, it's like the, the, the very basic pun. There's not really, there's no warning that it's going to be a pun yes no it's good yes so yes it's, it's really and it's good. obvious you. once you get once, it yeah. once you get it it's <laughs> yeah. obvious yeah yeah yes. for us slow people it just yes. takes a second it's early for me <laughs> and we and, and we also have a special guest too this is lucia oh, mm-hmm. lucia is my uh chihuahua and um she is uh she's kind of offended by podcasting which is really weird i don't know if she thinks it's the wrong like the, the too 
far for media to be going was too intimate. I don't know. Like she just has some issues. She's kind of a Luddite. She not doesn't she doesn't have a smartphone. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I, th- I think she needs to write like a tell-all once yeah. you know once she learns enough definitely Things she must have seen there's yeah. like some kind of a mommy dearest in the making yeah. coming up that's him out and this is our first ever dog appearance too this is our first yeah uh, we've been asking for dogs we've been asking oh, for dogs, we want, forever. dogs. Yeah, and we want the dog it feels so. good to have a dog around but sometimes they they don't i mean just like her she's not that fond of technology <laughs> so it's you know she has a lot of opinions she's so, I, she's so chill for a chihuahua she is she's pretty chill for a chihuahua 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 so i have a question Kay. so we obviously just did your story mm-hmm. and that is your obviously one degree connection first degree connection yes do you like true crime or I you, do. you do okay i do i'm a fan of the murder squad yeah and i'm a very old school fan of uh a murderino my favorite murder Alex, uh, uh, karen kilgariff and i are old old friends and uh you know she would come over to my house in the 90s and there was a bookstore called Amuck on Vermont, which had a lot of really crazy conspiracy theory books, but also a lot of true crime stuff. Mm. And so we would go there and we would get like a lot of these books and, and talk about it. Um, there was, uh, you know, just a lot of, I remember in the 90s, there was, I think we had sort of rediscovered culturally the uh, Bl- Black Dahlia. And that was when Steve Hodell had sort of come out yeah. with his book. Black Dahlia Adventure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And started talking about um, George Hodell and the family. and so. You know, it was like this introduction into culture that true crime had always had a place in mainstream culture, but it was a little bit like for old ladies yeah, mm-hmm. or like Miss Marple or Agatha Christie. And then, I mean, of course, that's a fictional mysteries, but th- there was a cer- sort of a morbid curiosity that older ladies seemed to possess that yeah. mm-hmm. the rest of the culture didn't. So, but I, I've always been into it. I've always been a little old lady at heart. Yeah. Well, I think, so I think true. my one grandma of the th- was all, so into it. I know. Yeah. And now it's little, all, now it's all us, us. millennials. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird too. I think a lot of people did, you know, when I go back and I look at the true, what, what true crime was, um, before it was on television, when it was these magazines, yeah, and you could, they were directed towards men. They had sexy women on the cover in peril. Mm-hmm. All the ads were like, "Be taller" or "Learn how to plumb" and all this stuff. Yeah, it was all about that, and um, or like the Charles Atlas ads or something. They weren't yeah. directed towards women, and um, you know, this switch happened at at some point in our in our culture, and then it got amplified after Serial, and then with Karen and Georgia, and then it just. Everything right. just exploded, and the, and I I met Karen in Georgia for the first time at one of your shows, right after one of your shows. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. At, at Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. So oh amazing! God. So amazing! I didn't know that mm-hmm. you knew Karen so long. That's crazy. Yes, um, Karen and I were friends um, in our late teens. We both no started way. comedy around the same time. She was Whoa. a little bit younger than me, and uh, Janine Garofalo convinced us to move to Los Angeles, like in nineteen ninety or something. Holy like shit! That. And uh, we came here and. Uh, you know, it, it was it was definitely a different world. And and it, it was just so it was so fun. And, and she's remained the same person throughout all of this, you know, throughout all this time and and throughout all this success. And it's very exciting, you know, to see all the stuff that she's doing. You yeah. know? But I, I I'm always I, I'm always like kind of missing her because I never see her because she's so busy. We're both yeah. so busy. So it's great to listen to my favorite murder because it's like I'm I, I know all the stories, the backstories that she'll punch in sometimes with Georgia and then I'm like oh my god that's me mm. or it's a friend of ours and that's Aww. awesome that's laugh. great yeah okay so you were just on it's it's a bucket list for a lot of people you played a villain on Law and Order oh. really seriously serious bucket list 
Um, it was uh, a woman who uh, was actually, she was a real person, and she had trafficked a lot of people from uh, China, from around the Yellow Sea. So it's like the, the Fukien province or something like that, the, where they, they have a lot of these workers come over and then they were in indentured servitude to her for many years to pay for their passage. And, and some people thought of her as, you know, of course, a human trafficker, which she was, but then also other people sort of looked at her in this very heroic light, which yeah. is strange, but she did help people kind of earn their freedom in a way. And uh, so uh, I played her on Law and Order SBU. <laughs> it was so exciting. Um, <laughs> she actually died in prison, the real person. But oh, uh, wow. hopefully um, my character, I think, survives. So maybe we'll see my character and, again. And who got to interrogate you? Uh, uh, Olivia Benson, <gasps> Mariska Hargitay, mm-hmm. oh which God. is great. And I love her. And I know her actually also from the 90s. All of us, we, all of us old like actresses, we all know each other, which is great. That is and so, so cool, it's fun. Though. That awesome. is so cool. She's yeah. awesome. That's a total bucket list. She's yeah. like one of my favorite yeah. TV actresses. Incredible. She's and that incredible. show is incredible. And it's been on for 21 years. It's the longest running show since Gunsmoke. I was binging <laughs> it yesterday. I was <laughs> so binging it yesterday. And it's like, they're all exciting. They're all good. Yeah. And it's never stale. And it's yeah. not like Grey's Anatomy, for example. I don't know how many seasons they're in. It's like I I turn it on and I'm like, ugh, yeah. it's they're not self-contained. You can't you can just jump yeah. right back into Law and Order yeah. and love Olivia. You're so invested in yeah. her. Yeah, and then also the love work it. that she does too with and the backlog and yeah. everything like that. No, she's she's awesome. She really does live that life too. Yeah. You know, it's like she backs up her character with a lot of amazing work. You know, public social work, all that stuff. Yeah. So she's she's great. I love that. Yeah. Um, I have a question. Is there a certain case? or situation true crime that got you into it or have you always been a fan or is there something um, that you always come back to the uh there's a couple um the uh well the ones that are maybe more modern that sort of got me more into like listening to podcasts would be bear bear brooks mm-hmm. this one um that billy and i talked about which you know he had a lot to do with the the, the story getting out and so that one was really um caught my attention uh people's temple which um mm-hmm. i i grew up around um in san francisco probably maybe was more of an entry point because it happened in 1978 i my parents actually rented out the people's temple hall because it had been recently vacated by the people's temple when they went to guiana when they went to guiana so yeah. they um oh, they had a, they had rented it for uh my grandparents wedding anniversary 50th wedding oh anniversary my gosh um wow. so it, it was almost like that that was a, a sort of predetermined thing that this was something that my family was really talking about a lot, mm-hmm. a, along with the Harvey Milk, George Moscone assassination, because right. that mm-hmm. happened the same month. So, yeah, there was the same month. Holy that, yeah, oh my God, yeah San Francisco that. had, yeah. the, it was just, I mean, think about it. It was, just, you know, a huge community leader and the mayor yeah. yes. ha- are killed right after this, this horrific uh, incident yes. happened in Guyana. So and, very uh, and we dramatic. had we, we did uh, Jonestown uh, episode, a couple episodes. Yeah, we had three we had, survivors on our show. Well, yeah. Jim Jones mm-hmm. Jr. Jim Jones Jr. Incredible. On, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's incredible. That and there's a huge funeral plot, I believe, in in Oakland, where there's about the eight eight hundred um, people that are interred there, um, which is it's really uh, I mean the, the 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 enormity of that disaster was just it's mind boggling. Yeah, somebody I think it was in our Facebook group was talking about how the people who had to clean. Up the, the bodies, site yeah. were just mm-hmm. traumatized yeah. Yeah. total ptsd and that's something that nobody talks about because i mean you've seen the area i've seen aerial footage of that oh and my it's, god it's yeah un- 
incomprehensible. Yeah. So imagine being on the ground, mm-hmm. trying babies and things. It's just unbelievable that that happened. Well, and that's like kind of the reason why we started our podcast too, because mm-hmm. you don't understand the ripple effects from something that's happening with yeah. that, where it's that's that affected thousands and thousands of people that yeah. nobody talks about. And right. another thing nobody talks about was getting remains home. Yeah. yeah. To, mm-hmm. for, to burials. Yeah, and to like, Oakland and things. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. They were just sitting in warehouses and they were exploiting people trying to get their loved ones home. And it's just things that you don't even consider when you think about Jonestown. Yeah. yeah. But so much of the story is, you know, people have this thing of like, how could they drink the Kool-Aid? Which it was not even Kool-Aid. But right. flavor right. Right. <laughs> but the biggest misconception. <laughs> like, you you know, I look back at the whole story and I look at the church, the temple itself in the very beginnings. Of course, I would have joined. Of course, I yeah. would have oh, gone yeah. because it was about uh, racial equality. Yep. It was about um, let's all come to God with our real modern problems. Like if you look at somebody like Joel Osteen, it's not uh-huh. that far removed. You know, I mean, it's it's just a very easy thing like i could totally see like or when a few years ago when people were really into the secret oh my oh, god yeah. i loved it. i love the secret mm-hmm. loved it but that's the same kind of mentality yeah. that drew people to jim jones that there was a goodness in his heart in the beginning yeah um that people got and they're like well yeah let's just you know this country is racist let's leave let's all go to this new place where we can forge a new land and there was sort of this idealism that i mm-hmm. i could really understand yeah well, that's the thing. Nobody joins a cult. Yeah, nobody no. joins a cult. Mm-hmm. They cult start knowingly. hanging out with friends and they feel good. And they're like, yeah. I like these people. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't well, join a cult. You just do things that yeah. you, that align. You hang out with people who have ideals that align with yours. Absolutely. And then suddenly the powerful leader just sort of becomes megalomaniac. Yeah. What's yeah. the slowness of it? Mm-hmm. Like the, And it's like, you know, in it's like an abusive relationship. In I was literally just thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, uh, it, you know, the little like things of isolating you and then, you know, bringing like the love bomb mm-hmm. and all that. It's like all those things happening, not to just one person, but m- many, many people. Yeah. It's a, it's a scary thing. Yeah. Billy. I think we're good. Yeah. We've killed we some killed time. Some time? We killed some time. <laughs> we killed <laughs> 11 minutes and 11 seconds of time. Felt it. Ooh, you were good. You're always good. You felt it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Thank we you. appreciate it so much. You're so amazing. So thank we're so you. excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. Thanks, yeah. Margaret. Right. Thanks, Lucia. That show is baby. That show is baby. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah.